Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... When the course is laid and the anchors weigh, a sailor's blood begins racing. With our hearts unbound and our flag unfurled, we're underway and off to see the world. Underway and off to see the world. Hey ho, we'll go anywhere the wind is blowing. Manly men are we. Sailing for adventure on the deep blue sea. Safely now, Mr. Silver. Let's not get sloppy just because we're singing. Take your walks on deck. We say what the heck. We laugh at the perils we're facing. Every storm we ride is its own reward. And people die by falling overboard. People die by falling overboard. Adventure on the big blue thing. Ahoy, mateys! This is uh, a really fun episode that I think you're going to like. We are talking about Muppet Treasure Island today. This is our first visit to the world of the Muppets, and uh, it's an interesting pick for, for which one to do, because I don't know if it's one of uh, the most popular Muppet movies. Certainly there's a lot to choose from. Uh, I, I'll get out ahead of this. Uh, I love the Muppets. I am wearing my Electric Mayhem t-shirt already <sighs> for this. And uh, I'm just, I'm ready ready to go. Uh, I cannot promise I will avoid doing too many Muppet voices today. Uh, I, I apologize in advance because that's going to happen. Um, but I'm, I'm not doing it alone because I, I honestly don't know a lot about Muppet Treasure Island coming into this. This is my first time watching it. So fortunately, I have a guest here who can help me. He's going to help uh, you know put his hand up my back and make my mouth move for this because he, he knows this property very, very well. <laughs> uh, so uh, please welcome to the podcast uh, our guest for today, Josh Covell. Hi, ho, everyone. Hi. That was a bad Kermit impression, and uh, thank you for having me on, man. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, hi, ho, Josh. Um, hi, ho, hey. everybody. Hey. Yay! Yay! Uh, so, <laughs> uh, Josh, uh, you are the host of the Still Loading podcast. Do you want to tell uh, our audience what Still Loading is all about? Sure. So Still Loading is kind of a, I describe it as a gaming grab bag podcast. I do a little bit of everything on it. I do uh, episodes on, you know, deep dive game retrospectives uh, on individual games. I cover wider topics like video game preservation and history. I also do interviews with people in the industry like voice actors and uh, composers and game devs. And then I do weird ideas like uh, the Final Fantasy Fantasy Draft, which is what happens when you take Final Fantasy and Fantasy Sports and mash them up together. And no, you do not need to know fantasy sports or how they work or even just sports ball in general. You don't need to know any of that to enjoy the Final Fantasy Fantasy Draft. So yeah, that's kind of still loading podcast. I describe it as a grab bag because it's got a little bit of everything, but it's all revolving around the love of games. So that's uh, that's still loading. Well, that's awesome. Uh, we definitely cover a lot of video games on this show because uh, I sure love them. But let's let's talk about Muppet Treasure Island because I, I like, like I said, this was a blind spot for me. I've seen most of the Muppet stuff. This This one I had not. Um, tell me why you wanted to do Muppet Treasure Island in particular. 
So when when uh, you invited me on and asked me for a list of things, you know, one of the I actually tried to purposely stray away from games because I love video games. I do a podcast about it, but that's all I get to talk about on podcasts is video games. Uh, that's why I started for my patrons. I did a whole game. I'm doing a James Bond series, so I have an excuse to talk about stuff that I don't normally get to talk about. And while there is actually, believe it or not, a Muppet Treasure Island video game for PC, it's like a point and click adventure. Very few people I know have played it, and in general, very few people in my circle, since I don't get to uh, talk movies all that often, talk about the Muppets in general. So I had to put this on here because it's actually my personal favorite Muppet movie. I'm not saying it's the best because I haven't actually seen every single one, so I can't really say definitively, but it's my personal favorite out of the ones I've seen. And uh, it's a huge nostalgic thing for me, man. Like my brothers and I, we grew up watching it. In fact, it's funny for a number of years, I hated this movie because my younger brother (laughs) watched it every day. We had a we had a VHS of it, and he would watch it every single day for like a solid. It felt like two years, at least once a week for two years. It felt like, and I by the end of that, I was like, I hate this movie. I don't want to ever see it again in my life. And then you know, as kids do, they go grow in and out of phases. So my brother stopped watching this every single freaking day. And uh, then years later, I went back on it. I'm like, wow, I still remember all the songs from this. I actually remember a lot of the specific lines and some of the jokes. And as an adult watching it, I was pleasantly surprised that, A, the songs are actually really good still. B, the jokes still make me laugh. There's a couple that I'm excited to shout out when we get to them. Um, But it's still really funny. And so now it's become this nostalgic piece of just movie of cinema for me is I can't help but love it. I, I can't do anything but love this movie. Yeah, I uh, obviously, like I said, I don't have any nostalgic feelings on this particular Muppet movie because it was the first time I saw it. But I can't think of anyone in my generation or younger who was not touched by the Muppets in some way in their childhood that that this mm-hmm. was, you know, uh, I grew up on the original Muppet movie. And I remember watching the great Muppet caper a bunch. I certainly watched a lot of Muppet babies because that, that mm-hmm. was big for me in the 80s. And so, yeah, the Muppets have just always kind of been around. I watched a lot of, yeah, the original Muppet show. I I still have, like, vivid memories of certain episodes of that. It's kind of funny to think about that at one point in time, like 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 a mainline, like a popular TV show that was like a destination for Hollywood stars to get, like, it was a thing if you got asked to be on it, was a puppet sketch comedy show the muppet show was like a big thing for celebrities in the 70s it's so weird to think about like i can't imagine that happening now but in the 70s it was like this popular thing to do like john wayne yeah he's on the muppet show (laughs) yeah the ones i remember the ones i remember real strongly for some reason there was an episode with julie andrews and there was one with uh, Mm -hmm. john denver and i don't know why those are the two that i remember so well but maybe because we had them on vhs taped or something but like the, the well you know I was just going to say, sorry to cut you off. John Denver and the Muppets did a Christmas album together. Ah, okay. Yeah. I don't know if that's that's why it sticks out in your memory, but they did do a Christmas album together, which is kind of funny. Also, there's a funny episode with – I shouldn't say episode, but sketch with Buddy Rich, the famous drummer, doing a drum drum off against Animal, which is kind of amusing to see. I don't know if that's from – the Muppet show or from something else, but it's still, it was all around that time. It's probably from the Muppet show. That sounds like something that they would do. Cause it has this, like, I won't say counterculture. Certainly Jim Henson would sort of 
veer into that, but there's definitely something slight. It's like subversive, but family friendly at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, constant fourth wall breaking, commenting on stuff, um, sliding in jokes here and there that are, you know, above the intended audience's ability to yep. catch. And just the, the characters of the Muppets are so strongly defined, like an improv, you would call it game, but like the, each character has its own quote unquote game and the Muppets as a whole, like the Muppet aesthetic and their sense of humor is so well defined that like, I won't say Muppet Treasure Island is on autopilot, but like you can tell that like, these are all the seasoned Muppet people. It's like, yeah, 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 we got this. We know what we're doing. We know what a Muppet Treasure Island looks like. It's a well-oiled machine by the time this is coming out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this was like the second to last Muppet movie. I know it's not the second to last Muppet movie of all time, but it felt like, you know, from when the original Muppet movie came out in the, what was it, late 70s or early 80s? I forget the exact year. Um, Up until like the mid to late 90s, there was, you know, a steady stream of like, Muppet movies or Jim Henson productions, i.e., you know, Dark Crystal and stuff like that. And so these, you know, Muppeteers or uh, puppeteers had all these years of experience. And then the Muppets just kind of went away for a while. You know, you didn't really see them for, I, I don't remember many things they did in the 2000s. Do you? I believe that's where Muppets from Space slots in somewhere in there. Maybe um, I thought that was a '90s thing, but I can't remember. I think it might have been early 2000s, but you're right. There was this. There was kind of a gap uh, until the '99. Yeah, until oh '99. Wow. Yeah, until really Jason Segel's The Muppets, which is I think 2011 that came mm-hmm. out, uh, which is I think might be my favorite Muppet movie. I think it's really strong, and in fact, we it's really good. We used the closing number from that in my wedding. Uh, my wife and I. Did we, oh, we didn't walk down the aisle to it. It was after after the ceremony when everyone walks out. Uh, we walked out to the Life's a Happy Song uh, reprise. So, uh, like I said, you're you're talking to a Muppet fan. For, uh, no no questions there. Um, but let's get into it. Let's let's talk about this movie because it's directed by Brian Henson. So it's got the the Henson pedigree on it. He also directed um, Muppet Christmas Carol, I believe, was his first one. Yep. And you know, got I mean, it runs in the family. He worked on he he worked on Labyrinth a bunch. He's a bunch of voices in that. He's Hoggle, for example, in Labyrinth. So. You're in good hands here, and you've got, I think, most of the the primary Muppet cast. So you have, like, what's his name? Dave Goals is, is uh, a lot of the voices. You've got Steve Whitmire doing Kermit. Like, you've got a lot of, yep. like, uh, you've got Kevin Clash is in there, who most people would know as Elmo. Um, so he, mm-hmm. he's in there. Um, yeah, just a strong group of people. And, like, had you ever read the Robert Louis Stevenson Treasure Island book before this? No, I think I tried to as a kid because I was obsessed with Treasure Island in general. So this movie made as when I first saw this as a kid, it made me obsessed with Treasure Island. So then I watched the original Disney movie, you know, the like the sixties or seventies live action one. Um at first hated it, then kind of grew to love it. Um haven't seen that in years actually. I'd be very curious to watch that again. And so then I, I meant to read the book and I never just got around to it. I never really got around to it. I was never a big reader as a kid, and I still am am not, though I wish I was. It's one of those things like I really wish I could get <laughs> into more books, but yeah, I, I don't. I just don't prioritize it. I have a vague memory of reading like the first third of it at some point. Mm. Like certain things about it kind of seemed familiar, and I've never seen um, Treasure Planet, that Disney film, all the way through either. Few people have, I suppose, um, but I've heard good things. But yeah, I've never actually watched that, which is another yet another adaptation of it from around this time. But it's kind of interesting with like as much as like Pirates of the Caribbean took over 
um, th th there was not a further attempt to try and adapt this in a serious way because you know it is the it's the quintessential pirate story. Like so much of our yep. like pirate lore is less about the real historical pirates of the 1600s and more about you know what is in this book. Wasn't there also a book that came out in the eighties that was that basically kind of in, in influenced and inspired Pirates of the Caribbean? I think it's like On Stranger Tides or something like that. That's another um, one. Yeah, I forget if the, that's a nonfiction work. I believe it wasn't a nonfiction. I, don't work. I thought it was. Um, I'm not. I could be. Yeah, it's a it's a book by Tim Powers and it's a historical fantasy supernatural okay. novel by American. I've been meaning to write that or write that. Sorry, <laughs> read that at some right, point as well. That's taken. God damn it. I knew I, I was too late. 40 years, almost 40 years too late. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about this movie. So it opens up. We've got, uh, you know, Billy Bones, uh, who is uh, Sir Billy Connolly. Yes. Uh, knighted uh, recently. Uh, if you don't know him, he's he's Scottish and he's the Scotsman from every movie where there's a Scotsman. And uh, <laughs> he's 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 telling the story of this treasure that was buried on this island and everyone who helped bury it was murdered and uh smith who buried it just took off Flint dis Flint was killed. It was Flint, yeah. and then, uh, and then it, yeah. Then Billy Bones. You, you find out Billy Bones was actually part of Flint's crew in a minute. But the opening song is a banger, dude. I love this opening song so much. And it was funny as a kid, I didn't realize it, and even when I rewatched it again as an adult, I didn't notice it until prepping for this. Hans Zimmer did the score for this movie, which. Pretty fitting, considering obviously he went on to do the Pirates movies. Right, right. He would do the score for those as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do like this opening number. This is very Muppety. It's you know, it's it's the perfect kind of like you're. It's bringing you into the world. They're doing this number, which is a sh a sea shanty, right? It's you know, mm -hmm. it's it fitting thematically. Um, my favorite detail in this is that is that singing pile of skulls. Yes. I, love I know that. exactly what you're talking. About. Finish your thought. I no, know, that I was think it. I know what it's you're just, say. No, it's just cool. It's like because at first it's like all these Muppet like crabs and you know seagulls or whatever, like you know stuff you would expect, right? As you watch these guys haul this treasure and bury it and stuff. Um, but then like the the you've got like the 
totems or whatever you want to call them. These like sort of uh, wooden tiki heads that are singing. But yeah, the skulls, it's like, that's just the right uh, tone for the Muppets that it's like, it's actually kind of macabre, but mm-hmm. sweet and accessible. I all, If you also notice when you're watching the, the singing with the skulls, the the one skull that's kind of doing a solo is actually like there is one skull in the back singing a solo compared to the rest kind of doing the chorus part or the choir part and you don't you can you can it's out of focus initially but at the very end when it ends on its evil laugh you can really it really like it the the focus pans over to to it like it I guess it's a rack focus is the right term I don't know but it like it goes up it, it focuses on it which is farther back in the in the shot and then you can actually see that it's like synced up with everything it's like small attention to detail like that which has always impressed me with Muppet movies in general where it's like they didn't have to do that like it's just a pile of skulls like this whole thing and they didn't that there's one soloist but they didn't have to like actually have one skull designated as the soloist they could have just had them all talking you know what I mean like but they took the time to actually like this guy over there you you're the you're the soloist in this one um yeah. Yeah. I, as I watched this, you know, with any movie that's kind of like this or like we talked about Roger Rabbit a few episodes back, you know, live action uh, animation hybrid stuff. And like there, these things are at their best when like, yeah, you know, they're it's all human beings that are craftsmen doing all these tricks. But like, I don't think about that when I watch these movies too much. It's usually mm-hmm. like, no, no, they're the Muppets are real. Like, I don't have to think about how it's you know, <laughs> how the, they're technically pulling it off. Right. I just accept that this is the world and Muppets live in it. It's kind of cool to see like what big budgets can do for practical effects effects when it's not just a stereotypical action flick. And don't get me wrong, I love action flicks. Give me Die Hard and all the practical stuff and Fast and Furious and all that junk. But it still is impressive to see like specifically with the puppets, like it's amazing what they're able to do in that um with all the 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 big budget they're able to pour into it. Uh and you were saying before about the like the kind of the totems that are singing too. This begins a long trend for me in this movie of stuff that I thought I heard as a kid and the lyrics are nothing like that at all. Uh there's a the the one line is you know the mula waka mula waka some uh, uh I forget what the, the it leads up to but they go like many wicked things gonna happen tonight. Uh, I always thought they were saying like many wiki kicky, like it was almost like just uh, it was more of like a sound than an it's actual gibberish. word. Yeah, but they're actually saying many wicked icky things gonna happen tonight. But the with the inflection they're using, it just sounds many wicked kicky. Yeah, <laughs> and it, stuff like that happens to me throughout the movie, especially with Billy Bones and the. I, for some reason, for me, the English accents in this movie were just so much harder to like understand things they were saying. I don't know. Did you find that for yourself? Yeah, I. It's a little tough. I mean, Billy Connolly is. Uh, he's always a little tough because his his brogue <laughs> yeah. is pretty strong. Uh, and then uh, Jennifer Saunders, who we're about to meet in a minute from uh, Absolutely Fabulous, uh, who runs the inn where we go next. Um, she's also like. I mean, when she speaks normally, she's easy to understand. But here, she's hamming it up. So mm-hmm. yeah, a little hard to understand her. She's playing this like Monty Python esque. Um, old Biddy, who is just mean and you know, kind of a rolled doll character because we find out from like Gonzo who is there, you know, listening to this, that like 
what does she say? Something like, you, you better clean up around here, she tells Gonzo, Rizzo, and, and our young hero, Jim Hawkins, like, or there's going to be no table scraps for you. Like, that's no <laughs> table scraps are weak. Yeah. yeah. And she, like, growls going off screen. When you're finished here, you can go and clean up in the kitchen. I left some table scraps in there for your supper. Oh, yes. And boys, last night you forgot to put out the lantern. If you forget that again, there'll be no table scraps for a week. Yeah, she's fun. Like, uh, you know, just and, and an invention, because I believe in the book, Jim Hawkins' parents run the inn. Here he's an orphan. Uh, so they're, oh, they're okay. going with that. Uh, you know, again, classic, like, again, rolled doll kind of orphan stuff. Uh, mm. And I love that they continue this from Muppet Christmas Carol, that they have kind of Gonzo and Rizzo as this two-hander. Like, mm. they, they pair together very, very well. And even in the credits, they're listed as playing themselves. Yep. This movie is one of the many reasons I love Gonzo. Like, I love how, like, he is the strangest character out of all the Muppets, which is saying something. But he's ne- but he's not embarrassed by his strangeness. He's very, like, no, I. he's like, I just like what I like, and he doesn't care. And that's what always appealed to me about Gonzo is just, like, there's a line later on where, uh, you know, the him and Rizzo are talking and they're lamenting about how, like, you know, Jim isn't talking to them and this and that. And he's like, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's a bummer. But, you know, hey, Angel Marie said he'd throw a line out of the back and let me drag along the bottom. And <laughs> which is supposed to be like some type of threat from Angel Marie. But Gonza's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I get to drag along the bottom of the ocean. Let's do this. And yeah. It, it's stuff like that. Yeah. He'll talk about like sandwich ingredients that are, you know, comically absurd <laughs> that he wants to eat. And like he's just, you know, yeah, let your freak flag fly he, he's my favorite muppet as well um i i've always had an affinity for gonzo maybe because mm-hmm. i'm the weirdo as well but like <laughs> yeah man he's he's so great um and rizzo is great playing off of him because he's more this like streetwise character like somehow like they fit uh as this pairing which is it's just great like it's all i feel like they try and pair them up as much as possible later on because of that there's like some magic chemistry between them and we get all our backstory here about you know you got to watch out for this one-legged man you know stay away from him mm. and you know this story about you know this this treasure is out there somewhere and people are going to come looking for it i also love in this opening a uh, couple like small things that I, I really enjoy the character of blind pew is one of the most funny characters to me just like the, he's just so over the top. He's hamming it up in every scene. Uh, I know it's a Muppet, but still. Um, yeah, even by Muppet and, standards, it's it's pretty handy. Yeah. And they make a couple jokes, you know, like, oh, he's some kind of blind fiend. And they're like, I think they prefer visually challenged fiend. And there's uh, like in the opening scene, there's lots of moments where they're try- almost bizarrely trying to be like uh, – I don't, I don't know if includes is the right word because there's a moment, you know, where Miss Bluffridge is sending everyone off to bed and she's like, all right, gentlemen, we're going to have for dinner our roast suckling. And all the pigs are like, huh, huh, what, what? Potatoes. And they're like, oh, thank God. And they walk off. And then all of a sudden she goes, no offense, ma'am, no offense. And you see this little potato Muppet <laughs> right across the screen too. There's just so many I don't know some of the jokes like that. Like that's a to me that's a really good joke because who makes a potato Muppet? Jim Henson does just for a joke. They made that entire Muppet just for a one-off joke. The Muppets are always kind of constantly looking like, how can we put a hat on a hat? And mm-hmm. and unlike most hat on a hat jokes, the Muppets usually pull it off. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, there's a line in this point because we're about to get like Jim has his little song about you know how life is terrible. 
um, uh, you know, he wishes for, you know, this is the I want song. And there's a line in here somewhere where he says something like, I hate my life. That's it, steady. I hate my life. I hate your life, too. If I had a life, I'd hate it. I was like, what a great, like, way to riff on that. That's so good. <laughs> and, then, and then Rose is like, if I had a life, I'd hate it. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. It, the three of them. Because the three of them are all basically, you could have just cast Gonzo as Jim Hawkins or Rizzo, but they just sort of like, all three of them are sort of the same character. You're you're 100% right with their chemistry. And that same chemistry shows up again just a moment later after Jim's song. Because the whole thing, you know, there, there's a on there's a callback joke, a running joke in the first like what ten fifteen minutes of the movie where Miss Bluffridge, who uh, the woman you mentioned before, who runs the inn, she uh, will be able to you know like someone will say something and then she'll respond even though she's off screen like five doors down and they're always like how does she do that <laughs> oh somehow always is in line with that so uh, they they finish the song and then you know they go. Uh, you know, maybe if we can go east, you know, to the whatever island, you know, uh, west, pirate galleons, and then all this other stuff. And then Miss Bluffridge from, like, inside the house, nowhere near, should not be able to hear them, yells, to the northwest, dirty dishes. They call back the joke. And once again, to bring it back to what you're saying about this chemistry between the three of them, you hear, uh, it's like, all right, I'll, Jim Hawkins goes, all right, I'll wash the dishes. Rizzo goes, I'll dry. Gonzo says, I'll break. And then the scene ends. Wait, no, I think that's right before they go into the song. My apologies. Well, but that's okay. It, we can go out of order slightly. No big deal. I'm, I, I was getting confused with all, but it's, it's stuff like that. that then it leads into the song, but like to, I, I brought all that up just to kind of, Reemphasize what you said. The chemistry between those three is really strong. Yeah, Muppet movies are often at their best when they're a little more like sketch movies. Like you know, you think of mm-hmm. uh, you know Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where the 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 plot is less important or almost non-existent. Like we don't really care how well they adapt the Robert Louis Stevenson book. We just want like fun sketches to kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. follow along that general outline. Um, but this is where we sort of have to do a little action stuff because, uh, you know, the Billy Bones comes back. He's got the horrors. He's got the black spot. You know, basically, he's marked for death. The black spot. But I don't understand. What is the black spot? The black spot's a pilot's death sentence. They'll be coming to kill me tonight. You better help. Yeah, yeah, let's get some This My old sea chest and blubbers are after. Underwear. But I'll trick them. I'll shake out another reef and daddle them again. Uh, you want to run that bias again in English, damn Mr. Bones? It's mine. I've gone for that treasure myself. And no one-legged son of a bilge rat will... Captain Bones. He died? And this is supposed to be a kids' movie. Oh. Oh. Jimmy, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, 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 Jim. Me always been a decent sort to old Billy Bones. But I'm not Jimmy, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, 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 Jim. He's Jimmy, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, 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 Jim. Jim? Yes, Captain. Jim, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jim, 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 Jim. Yes, Captain, what is it? Take the map. What map? 
It's about Joe Flint's treasure. Don't you understand what I've been telling you? I was Flinty's first mate. We all were. Blind <gasps> you and me. Oh, my old shipmates. They'll gully me for sure. And anybody else to get their mitts on that map. Uh, and gullying hurts, right? Oh, aye. A lot. Yeah, and the the Billy Connolly is so good as Billy Bones in this. Just like he sells every moment of it with the whole like the black spot ah, and just screams. And he's packing all his stuff up. And Jim's like, I don't understand what is a black spot. And he explains, you know, it's a pirate's death sentence. Gonzo being the helper that he is, he's like, oh, I, I'll help with this underwear. Put some in there. <laughs> just keeps putting stuff into his suitcase for him. Some of it just nonsensical. Uh, and then after all that, Billy Bones, you know, beware the one-legged man. Uh, or, yeah, like, he, he, like, suffers, like, almost a semi-heart attack, falls in and tells Jim, beware the one-legged man. And he's like, all right, Captain, beware. He's like, and also running with scissors. <laughs> it's all good fun until someone loses an eye. And right where he's supposed to say eye, that's when he suffers his fatal heart attack suddenly. And they make a joke out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you never have to take anything that seriously, right? They're never going for actual pathos in a Muppet movie. It's all just, you know, spoofing and good fun. And that's where you know, we, this kind of turns into this big escape because the pirates come looking for the treasure map, which our our heroes now have. And they escape uh, the burning wreckage of this inn. And they need to go find Trelawney, who will get them a boat that they can use to find this treasure. And we meet Fozzie who is Trelawney. Um, uh, the rich, half-wit, young son of young Squire Trelawney. He's the son of Trelawney. <laughs> oh, hello, chappies! Everyone, this is Dr. Livesey and his assistant beaker. They do research and development for my papa. Hello. Actually, Squire, we were hoping to meet with your father. We need a ship for an ocean voyage. Ocean? 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 You know, the ocean, uh, the big blue wet thing... Oh, the big blue wet thing! Yes! Say, I know what's happening here. You chaps are planning to sail to this island, aren't you? Ooh. To dig up this treasure. Yes, but we must be quiet about it. There are pirates looking for this map. Yeah, and they want to kill us for it. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> pirates, eh? Well, that settles it. We'll use one of my daddy's boats, and I will personally finance the voyage for the treasure myself. You'll do that? Really? Certainly. What are rich half-wit sons for? <laughs> yeah, which is just an excuse to let Fozzie be Fozzie. And he has this recurring bit where he has like a, it's, almost, it's like the shining, but funny. He talks to his finger, um, which is Mr. Thimble, he calls it. It's actually, this ties in with with my thing I mentioned before of not understanding half the dialogue in this movie, or I shouldn't say half, a large chunk of it. It's Mr. Bimbo, according to the subtitles on Disney+. Plus. Oh, okay. I thought it was Thimble, too. As a kid for years, I thought it was Thimble. But I was like, I got to know what this is. There was another moment earlier, and this will be quick, so I, I don't dwell on a previous scene. When the inn explodes, the dog that you – right before the explosion happy happens, you see him scream and goes, ah, oh, whoop. I thought he said, like, blow up, like, okay, because the gunpowder is going to blow up. He's saying, oh, woof, but it doesn't sound like woof. It sounds like blow whoop. It's yeah. very strange. So, it, But, yeah, so back to what we're talking about now. Mr. The, Mr. Bimbo is the man that lives in Fozzie's Finger who uh, <laughs> has apparently been to the moon 
twice. <laughs> it's an interesting bit. I, I don't know where this ties into the book, if they're trying to riff on something from, from the original book, because I don't recognize it. And it's like, it's, I don't want to say it's out of character for Fozzie, but usually his, his bit is more like just delivering bad puns and stuff. Having mm-hmm. him be like half crazed is an interesting, like, <laughs> angle on Fozzie. choice. <laughs> yeah, but I do like that he's like this, like, yeah, you said like half wit son, right? That That's a trope we know. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the fact that the guy who introduces him when, when Hawkins and Gonzo and Rizzo show up, they're like, we'd like to speak to the shipbuilder, uh, Master Trelawney, the shipbuilder. And he goes – and the guy, the super like stuffy British dude, uh, he goes, oh, he's not in here. He's in like long nebineti or whatever for the grouse season. And then he starts laughing. He says, but his rich half-wit son, young Squire Trelawney is here. And he like does a wheezing laugh because he, he's laughing. I, whoever plays this dude is my hero because he's like – He's laughing so hard at his own joke, like the character's own joke. I don't know. I was just really impressed that, like, I shouldn't say impressed, but it, it tickled me how into such a small character he was. Yeah, nobody is half-assing it in a Muppet movie. No. Right? Like, everyone's really stoked to be there, I'm sure, just to be, like, around the Muppets is a lot of fun and, and all the Muppeteers and stuff. So, yeah, the, everyone is playing to 11 and just kind of living it up. And uh, we get... Uh, so they, we were directed to the Hispaniola, the ship. We meet Statler and Waldorf, who are the statues on the bow of the ship, which is what a, a great choice. It's an awesome way to incorporate them into the movie because they definitely try to like, we got to have all of the Muppets in here somewhere. How do we cram them all into Treasure Island? And like, yeah, what a great choice to stick them in there. They did introduce Bunsen and uh, Bunsen, Bunsen and Honeydew Beaker and work Beaker. for Trelawney, yeah. Yep, they work for Trelawney as his like shipbuilders. Doctor Livesay is an actual character in the book, which I I did look up a little bit of stuff for this episode. So Doctor Livesay is a real character played by Honeydew. But I just wanted to shout that out quick. But yeah, they get onto the ship, and probably one of my favorite segments in the entire movie. One, uh, uh, you find you first meet Sam Arrow, who's the second, uh, who's the second mate or whatever it is, the second in command. I forget the term. First is mate. it second mate? First mate. Gosh, dang it. He's second in command, but he's the first mate. There we go. Um, Sam the Eagle. Sam Eagle, yes. He's wonderful in this in this opening scene because he, he hypes up Kermit. Kermit ends up being the captain, and he hypes it, the whole thing up as he is this raging volcano tormented by inner demons, the likes of which we have never seen. <gasps> the captain approaches. Aside, make way, make ready for the captain. Lollygaggers will suffer his wrath. Wrath? Is this captain bad-tempered? Is he bad-tempered? The man is a raging volcano, tormented by inner demons, the likes of which mere mortals cannot fathom. Good day, Mr. Arrow. <clears throat> I knew it. He's furious. Yeah, and we haven't seen you – know, as you're going through this, you're, of course, going, all right, well, all the Muppets are going to show up somewhere. Where's Kermit going to be? Where's Miss Piggy going to be? You know, where, where are all these characters going to show up in the movie? And as he's building it up, it's like, well, which of the Muppets is it going to be? And it's like, of course, like the most you know, sweet, good-natured one of them all. It's going to be Kermit for the captain. Uh, and he's great. I, we also meet here, though, we meet uh, our villain, Long John Silver, played by human Muppet Tim Curry. <laughs> I – adore tim curry in this movie i cannot i love 
there, I don't, I love his performance. He hams it up a lot, but specifically there's moments later in the movie that I won't touch on yet until we get to it that are surprisingly human from, for him, not for him, I should say, but for this movie, like there's like a bizarre through line of like fatherhood, like fatherhood figure, father figures, uh, for Jim in this movie, you know, like he, when you first meet Long John, he's this really affable character. He has a pet lobster instead of a pet parrot, uh, which is a pretty decent joke. Um, and he's just this really fun, over-the-top character. And you, you, you kind of, like, you you know Billy Bones' warning. Don't trust the one-legged man. And Long John Silver is the one-legged man. But he's very pleasant. He's very affable. And you find out, you know, pretty early on that he's already kind of the bad guy. But at this point, when you first meet him, it's still just a little bit of a suspicion. But he's still really pleasant. Um and so he plays this over-the-top character, but he kind of be, ends up becoming a father figure for Jim Hawkins in throughout the movie. And that's when the some of the more emotional stuff takes place is when ultimately, obviously, since he is the bad guy, it does betray Jim. And we'll get into that more as the movie gets to it. But it uh, I it's he has such a weird character in this because I don't think that father-son like dynamic that they're kind of alluding to in this is in the book at all but i could be completely wrong i don't know i think think it is i think this is the emotional linchpin of the book um this i know shows up in the the treasure planet adaptation like that Mm -hmm. you need to really invest in like i like the relationship between long john silver and jim hawkins so that when long john silver has his heel turn you're you're really profoundly disappointed and that you when it shows back up like he you can tell i mean we're getting way ahead but like he does really take a shine to jim he does like him on some level and you know he probably would you know hey if jim decided to switch sides and be a pirate he'd probably be thrilled Putting in the long boat till he's over. Putting in the long boat till he's over. Our lying no more. <laughs> what have we here Stowaways. I'm afraid we shish kebab and barbecue stowaways on this ship. <laughs> Wait, I know. You must be the cabin boys. Yeah. <laughs> Hungry lads? Ah, oh, well, in my galley, you're always welcome to help yourselves. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Yahoo! Oh, he's got a healthy appetite. How about you, funny face? Huh? Here. Hey, thank you. <laughs> well, my name is Gonzo, and the guy in your chicken is Rizzo. <laughs> you! Oh, and you must be Master Hawkins. Yes, sir. Oh, you needn't be calling the lowly ship's cook, sir. Long John Silver, at your humble service. But we're just cabin boys, Mr. Silver. Long John to his friends. And believe me, lad, a friend you can trust is worth his weight in gold. There's many a dark-hearted scoundrel in these ports. What do you mean, pirates? Pirates? Oh, 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 that's rich. Pirates? What an imagination. Give me a cracker. Allow me to introduce my pet lobster, Polly. Pieces of eight, pieces of eight. Raised him from a fingerling, I did. As fine a crustacean as a man could ask for. But I thought sailors had talking parrots as pets. Talking 
parrots. Yeah, what an imagination. First pirates, now talking parrots? What's next? A singing, dancing mouse with his own amusement park? Woo-hoo! That's enough now, Polly. Go on, shoot. Oh. Um, so you need that emotional beat to work. But meanwhile, Tim Curry is like chewing the scenery, like <laughs> not at 11, but like at 21. And he is incredible. Like he's doing stuff that like he has this like laugh that like he does as Pennywise. Uh-huh. The cl- yeah, he does that laugh as Pennywise the clown. <laughs> like it's this, you know, the same guy like he's like they clearly just let him off the leash and said, hey, if you want to do this as Dr. Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror Picture Show, you do it. And he just, and he's, yeah. He sells everything, man. Like, he sells every Like, when he's interacting with the Muppets, it's not someone acting with the Muppets. He is literally just, oh, this is a person I'm speaking to. Like, he's, he's so absorbed into the character. It's it's wonderful. And uh, I, the, the introduction to him is great. And that's when, obviously, Arrow pull, like, blows the whistle and calls everyone for to come out. And that's when you have that whole buildup of Kermit and you've, and you're, it's the, the, you know, the fake out, you know, it's a stereotype. I shouldn't say stereotypical. It's a, it's a typical joke that you would see, you know, the making up all these, like all these adjectives to describe what you're about to see and then completely subverting your expectations with the, with the punchline that you see that all the time. But the jokes that I like more than that is immediately after where Kermit comes on he's kind of, you know, inspecting the, Hmm. Hmm. expecting the ship and everything. And Sam Arrow looks at the rail and goes, I knew it. He's furious. He, he like swipes and sees dust and says, I knew it. He's furious. He goes up to someone. He's like, you there, you were responsible for, for dusting the rails or whatever, 30 lashes. And then you walk the plank and Kermit's like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say that Mr. Arrow. Oh, I was just anticipating your whim, sir. Mm-hmm. And that it gets called back later on where uh, they're, they're you know they're they're getting ready to set sail you know hoisting the gangplank and setting uh, unfurling the sails and all this other stuff, and Arrow's giving all these different rule or all these different uh, orders to everyone, and then he goes, "Any man caught dawdling will be shot on sight." And Kermit's like, "I didn't say that, Mister Arrow. I was just paraphrasing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good it's game between good these show. two, and like Sam. Sam the Eagle is, he's a great character. He's not, he's kind of used sparingly. He's not like mm. one of the premier Muppets, I guess, but no. like they, they make such good use of him here because he is so serious. Um, he's just, just a great, great character. And uh, we move pretty quickly here. Like they, they kind of go off to, you know, they're off on their voyage. We introduce this running gag that there's like this gaggle of rats that are like treating it like it's a, a cruise <laughs> and they're on Rizzo. a tour. But yeah, yeah Rizzo is trying to make money by having this rat tour going on, uh, which is fun. We put the rat in pirate. Right. And uh, so, yeah, so we have uh, a roll call. Uh, we find out that Fozzie hired the crew, uh, which is why there's a bunch of mutineers and idiots on there. <laughs> it's worth pointing out real quick. Another one of my favorite jokes is in the roll call when they do all the pirate calls. You know, I, like yeah. oh, this. uh and you know they have they once again they have typical jokes that you've seen before. They have like a name like Sweetums, and it turns out to be this big gruff dude. They have uh, you know <laughs> big fat ugly bug faced baby eating O'Brien, and it's this beautiful woman. You know joke once again setting up one expectation and subverting it. But my favorites are the ones where there's like 
one-eyed Jack, and it's a dude with literally no eye on his left eye and an eye patch over his only eye that he actually has. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's that, and then there's the old Tom, Mm -hmm. real old Tom, dead Tom. Uh, Clueless Morgan is also low-key, really funny, where they, they call him out. He goes, Clueless Morgan, and he just goes, huh? Like, there's all these just, like... They don't do just the jokes that you're expecting. They also do ones that they're like, this is unique for this setup that we've created with these goofy Muppets. Yeah, I get truly Muppety jokes. I really like the dead Tom. That That's just a great. <laughs> he's just a skeleton that's somehow part of the crew. And they'll <laughs> call that back later. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Um, and so then we get to the scene where we finally bring in the electric mayhem, which uh, makes me happy. Uh, mm. And uh, and uh, now it's a cruise ship. They're They're playing... We get this Jim and Long John Silver bonding some more. They talk about navigating by stars, which will become important later. And it's just, yeah. You find just, out Jim has a compass from his father. Yes, that he does not want to give up because that is his uh, sole remaining kind of heirloom or piece of him. Mm-hmm. And this is like they, they, this is like the one scene where it's like, we're going to turn off the jokes for a minute and just have a scene between these two characters. And you're right. Like this film does not have a lot of emotional depth or pathos. Like that's not what it's about. That's not what they're going for, but you need just a little bit. And they kind of nail that by doing this scene. There is um, in this scene too. I'm going to double check it right now. I'm pretty sure the Disney plus version, they changed up the music for just this scene Hmm. because the other music, I I could be completely wrong. I'm actually, I have a, a, a a totally legal copy that I obtained uh, a while ago uh, that I, um, I I remember watching it on and I'm pretty sure the music is different. I'm going to double check on the scene, but I, either way, I, yeah, I like this scene a lot just because it is that emotional character building that you see from, uh, you, you get a lot more of understanding who Long John is sort of, and also a little bit more about Jim. Uh, and it builds that, father son thing that we keep talking about i i really like this scene a lot uh and it's it's wonderful yeah and well, like i said this is you know the, everybody kind of this film is kind of opera vibrating on this very like adhd wavelength for a lot of it and uh, it's nice to kind of watch it slow down the pace and and have this moment um, and that kind of continues to the next scene which is just kermit missing miss piggy we don't know what happened to her mm-hmm. yet um she is you know fairly, uh, you know, high-profile Muppet to have not made a big appearance yet. So we'll find out yep. what happened to her. Um, I'm sorry, quick note. I, yeah. I don't think they changed the music on that scene. I just listened ah, okay. to it real quick. I don't think they changed it. Sorry, continue on. I, oh, I didn't no, that's interrupt okay. you there. No, 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 no problem. Um, like, I, it, t- it says something about this movie in general that, like, we're... These characters all have, like, character names, but they're Kermit, they're Piggy, they're Fozzie. Like, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. he's Trelawney, but really is Fozzie. So, yeah, we get you know, to the next morning... God, this is where Gonzo talks about getting dragged at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> so great. And this is, oh, th- this is where he gets uh, stretched out. This is a, this is a weirdly like cartoony gag, even for the Muppets that like they, they put Gonzo on the rack. Um, the, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, mutineers do and stretch him out. And he spends a, the next like chunk of the movie with these ridiculously long noodle arms and legs. And uh, it's really like some good, like physical, like sight gags in like a way that the Muppets usually don't do. Yeah, I I was surprised that they did it, not because of how dark it was, but also because like what shit like is it normal for a ship just to 
have that on board. Like, I feel like they wouldn't have torture devices on, like, that seems like a lot of space to give up just to bring a torture device with you. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't, I'm not a history buff. Maybe it was normal for ships to have tables that can stretch your arms and legs off until that just pops, or in Gonzo's case, just stretches. Uh, I like how that scene ends, though, because <laughs> Morgan, he tries to, it's a little dark, but he tries to burn Rizzo with like a hot iron, like a hot iron type of thing from a, like a fire poker. And then when Era, when Sam Eagle walks in or Sam Arrow walks in, uh, he quick decides to hide it. But he's like, oh, where do I hide it? I'll just hide the hot part in my hand. And you <laughs> just see it start smoking. And, you know, he loses his mind and burnt his hand. It's it just it's a very clueless Morgan is a character that I really wish would have been a Muppet that stayed outside of this movie. Uh, and maybe he is, I mean, you've seen a lot more of the Muppets than I have. Have you seen him in any other uh, uh, Muppet movies outside of this? I'm trying to remember. Is this the guy that looks, it's uncle deadly or no, I can't remember. Um, Cause I thought that character might've been in there. Uncle deadly is the guy. If you've seen the Jason Siegel uh, Muppet movie, the 2011 one. So you've got the bad guys are Chris Cooper and then this giant bear Muppet and then this blue, like, dragony monster looking one. I can't remember if that's mm. Clueless Morgan or not. Uh, Clueless to... Morgan is the goat. He's oh, the, the goat? goat? Yeah, Muppet. I don't think he's been in anything else. Yeah. I really wish he would appear in other Muppet movies because they give a lot of screen time to him. They also give him a lot of jokes. They give him, like, the, you know, when they first introduce him, they have the whole, huh, thing, which I think is still a pretty solid joke. Uh, he he has a lot of dialogue overall because there's, like, three kind of bad guys besides Long John Silver that get a lot of screen time together. It's Mad Monty, Polly the Lobster, which is Long John's, you know, pet lobster, and then Clueless. And... It's strange that none of them really like Polly, at least I could see maybe show up again. But like Clueless Morgan is, I think, one of the best one of the I should say the best one of the funniest characters uh, in the movie. And I'm just surprised he didn't really they didn't really decide to use him for anything else after that. I mean, maybe his type of like goofy kind of like absent minded humor doesn't fit in other ones, but I really enjoy him. Yeah. Or they end up using, you know, more of the the well-known Muppets and to fill that slot you know, to do that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's hard to know. Um, but to, yeah, you can always feel like sometimes in these movies, they're going to throw in a new character here or there to kind of try something mm-hmm. out. So yeah, I, I love like all of, like Gonzo just sitting on deck with his arms and legs, like all over the place. <laughs> and he's like gleeful about it. Like, like you said, he's got this weird, like getting dragged behind a boat seems fine to him. Um, when and he's there's like, a callback to that joke later too. <laughs> yeah. And he's like up in the rigging. They have him like up there. Like, it's really funny. And so we have another scene this with Hawkins and Kermit. I, uh, where again, Kermit is saying, you know, you should give me the map and he's nervous about it. But this time he finally agrees. So Sam locks it away in Kermit's desk. And then we get to this like interesting segment where they're stuck in the doldrums, right They're You know, they've been at sea mm-hmm. for like six weeks and there's no wind anymore, which leads to, I think my favorite musical number in the movie, which is cabin fever. I've got cabin fever. I think I lost my grip. I'd like to get my hands on whoever wrote this script. See?
I feel like such a which is this like Carmen Miranda Calypso <laughs> number where they're all in theory going crazy. It's got probably the most fourth wall breaking jokes of any song in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of just like this felt the most like Muppety, like Muppets firing on all cylinders kind of song. So this this one stood out to me. It's just like, yeah, this someone had this idea for a song. and It's like we have to get this in the movie. There's a moment in that song, and I, you know, I, I haven't shouted. I mean, we'd be here all day if I shouted all the times I misheard uh, dialogue or lyrics or any of that stuff. There's a line in that song where they break the fourth wall, and the one guy uh, who's like, "I wish I, I'd like to get my hands on whoever wrote this script," but the way he says hands, he's like, "I'd like to get my hands on whoever wrote this script," and the way he says hands. He doesn't pronounce the D, so I thought he said Haynes. I'm like, is he talking about his underwear? I, as a kid, mind you, this is like, as an adult, I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. But as a kid, I'm like, he wants to get his underwear? Whoever whoever wrote this script? What? I There was so many things as a kid that made no sense to me. And I was just like, this movie's great. I don't care. Yeah, they very much like adopt this like, you know, classic Warner Brothers duck amuck kind of approach to fourth wall breaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see that influence and like, it's funny every time. Like it's hard to keep breaking the fourth wall because at a certain point, if you break it too much, it kind of that kind of loses its power. But they know just yep. how to ride that so they can get away with it and not do it too much. But here, it's really good. And so we get our next scene where Long John Silver and uh, is talking to the mutineers, or whatever. And Jim accidentally slips up and tells him about the map. Yep. And, uh, and- yeah. He yeah, and uh it Jim still trusts Long John at this point, and Long John then decides to take matters into his own hands and find a way to get the map for himself, and so he gets Sam Arrow to he tricks Sam I keep saying Sam Arrow because that's the character's name. It's Sam Eagle is the Muppet's name. Anyway, um tricks Mr. Arrow, Sam Eagle, into getting into a lifeboat by saying, Oh, you know, when we, I was on some other boat and half the crew drowned, or sorry, I was on some other ship and we got attacked. And so we had to get into lifeboats and half the crew drowned in leaky lifeboats. And it kind of does fit with the character where up until this point, Sam keeps saying, you know, like, oh, he's so concerned about safety. When he catches the three guys torturing Gonzo and Rizzo, he goes, I say this is very unsafe. Stuff like that. Like they it's within the his character for this movie that he's just obsessed with safety. So when he hears that, his OCD kind of kicks off a little bit and he goes in and he has to he has to inspect the life, the lifeboats. And that's when Silver tricks him. and He's like. Uh, you know, oh yeah, they, this may look safe, but until you get out into the open ocean, that's where you know that's where crap goes down. And so Arrow's like, "Cast me off, Mister Silver." And really, like, I, I like Tim Curry's acting in this because it could have been a lesser actor would have been like, "Oh, Mister Arrow." I mean, you don't want to lose your keys, right? Or some. I think it's also partially the writing too is really good because it would have been way too easy to do like a subtle, like a not so subtle wink and nod to the camera. Like you see what he's doing here. He's tricking him, but he, the dialogue feels natural enough where it's like, I could see the character of Sam Arrow falling for this trick. It's obvious to us because we know who long John is, but this character of Sam Arrow of Sam Eagle and this being hyper obsessed with safety also still trusts everyone. I could totally picture his character 
falling for such an obvious trick in our eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's a very Muppety kind of gag to say, basically, we're going to have Sam, he has to QA the lifeboats. <laughs> and you know, sending him off is uh, just a great way to do it. They, they go through this vaudeville routine, like you said, of uh, getting the keys back from him. Oh, you don't want to leave without, you don't want to leave without those, whatever, however he says it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and gets him to go on his way. And that's when uh, it's mutiny time because Jim overhears the mutineers. He's inside a barrel with. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. First, I skipped. I skipped over something important. So uh, Kermit is told that Sam went overboard, and so they have this eulogy for him uh, while they're the bad guys are stealing the map. Uh, and that's when Gonzo and Rizzo are in the apple barrel. Jim joins them, and they overhear Long John mm-hmm. and the mutineers revealing their plot. At which point it's too late. The the trap is sprung and uh, they are uh, it's mutiny time. Yeah. So they, they mutiny. And what I like, though, is Jim tries to warn Kermit about it. But when he's in the when he's in the barrel with Gonzo and Rizzo, actually right before he gets in the barrel, it has a callback to the joke of Gonzo getting dragged along the bottom by Angel Marie. This apple has a worm in it. That's not a worm, that's my tail. What's wrong? It just feels so weird. You mean that Mr. Arrow's dead? Yeah, that. Yeah. And my pants are filled with starfish. You and your hobbies. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And as a kid, obviously, nothing was funnier than pants filled with starfish. Uh, and actually, as an adult, not going to lie, it still makes me laugh. Just the, the sincerity in which the line is delivered. Yeah. Does he ever, doesn't he at some point pull a starfish out of his pants later on? They call back. To yes. Him? Yeah. <laughs> in the final fight scene, he's fighting a dude and he pins the dude. He throws the starfish. They're like ninja like stars. Ninja stars. Yeah. <laughs> and he pins the guy to a, to the side of a boat. It's a great joke in all in all honesty. Yeah, and so they mutiny. They're going to go ashore to Treasure Island, and Kermit has an awesome plan, which is, well, we'll just let them go ashore. We'll sail away, and they'll be stuck mm-hmm. there. And maybe when we come back in a year, they'll be softened up. Uh, but unfortunately, they have Jim with them, so they can't just leave him to die. In a really weird way that they capture Jim, too, like Long John perfect per- uh, purposely places his crutch on the ship like you watch him do it and then when he asked jim to hand it to him i don't know why jim just didn't let go when long john pulls him in pulls him in but the more i watch the scene the more i'm kind of like well he was like like he did have the, the long john's crutch underneath his armpit so if a dude lifts straight up on you when you're not expecting it maybe i could see jim falling for it and not like being able to let go in time like it's the shock of it suddenly would but it still is a goofy scene and yeah so jim gets captured and that's when they have to figure out a new plan so they kermit and gonzo and rizzo head to the island to rescue jim and they leave uh fozzy or i'm sorry young squire trelawney uh they leave fozzy and um Bunsen or Dr. Livesay and Honeydew to guard the ship or Beaker to guard the ship. Uh, and finally, when they get to the island, this is where you meet. Well, in the novel, it's Ben Gunn, a formerly marooned pirate. In this movie, it's Benjamina Gunn, played by Miss Piggy. Yeah. One of my favorite gags comes right here when they start, you know, when they, when they get to the island is you see 
the pirates are all having a party and the electric mayhem is providing the tune and they have a little moment amongst themselves to go like whose side are we on <laughs> hey man i can't figure out what side we're on are we with the pirates or the frog captain oh hey man just play the gig never get involved in politics 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 really funny like yeah they're just the band they're there because it's cool to have the don't band. get involved with politics hey man we're just playing a gig don't get involved in politics <laughs> yeah animal, animals politics politics yeah the, he's i i feel bad we don't get really any animal in this movie that's kind of the one mm-hmm. he's, he's my undersurf. second favorite muppet and he you don't get a lot of him yeah that's okay i mean like i said you can only cram so many of them into mm-hmm. this story um so it's nice we get a little animal but i do like animal he is fun uh, and I like Dr. Teeth as well. I always liked him. And uh, not much for him to do. He doesn't have much of a character. But there's just something cool about this, like, Grateful Dead-esque band leader that I, I kind of like. Just sort of how <laughs> 60s groovy he is. Uh, he's one cool thing man. real quick as in this scene. Uh, so there, there's a lot on, that happens on the island before the final fight and before some other stuff. But something Oh, yeah, I lots shout of stuff, out. yeah. Something I want to shout out, because you see it here when um, – uh, you see it here – uh, when Kermit and Gonzo and Rizzo all get, end up getting captured by the, the tribe on the island. But something you've seen throughout the whole movie is the callbacks to Rizzo having this rat cruise. Like They're everywhere, scenes, yeah. They're always they're like everywhere. watching stuff. They're like and they're having they're not just watching, they're like sitting at tables with like drinks and like napkins and stuff. <laughs> like they're like they're watching dinner theater. Uh, it's it's a great little running gag of them. Like they're always commenting on what's happening. Like they're they're a good audience surrogate, especially when you can't have Statler and Waldorf removed from the ship to do that commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good to have them there as a substitute. There's like Fozzie. There's a scene where Fozzie throws like uh or Sherry through a window, and like it happens multiple times, dude. I won't break down the entire scene but he he throws it multiple times after like the fourth time a rat pops up and he's like can you knock it off with the booze it's peeling the paint off the shuffleboard court uh and it's just like weird i'm like how did rizzo have time to put a shuffleboard court into the ship for the people or did they make it themselves i don't know yeah again <laughs> the muppets do not require consistency or reality it's just if, if it's funny it happens that's why we right? love them yeah exactly that's what makes the muppets the muppets uh, and we get this song about the they are the pirates are professional pirates, which I like. And Jim uh, Tim Curry mm-hmm. says something like, "This is my only number in the song," <laughs> which is great. <laughs> uh, he points that out. Um, and yeah, again, this is probably my second favorite song. This this very much feels like kind of uh, the Monty Python, specifically like the the Knights of the Round Table song from mm-hmm. Holy Grail. Like kind of similar comedic DNA for this. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. When I was just a lad. Looking for my true vocation. My father said, no son, this choice deserves deliberation. Though you could be a doctor, or perhaps a financier. My boy, why not consider a more challenging career? Hey, ho, ho, you'll cruise the forest shores. <laughs> See you, lad. Show him if he's practicing. True friendship and adventure are what we can't live without. And when you're a professional pirate, that's what the job's about. Upstage, lads. This is my only number. Now take Sir Francis Drake. The Spanish all despise him. 
But to the British, he's a hero, and they idolize him. It's how you look at buccaneers that makes them bad or good. And I see us as members of a noble brotherhood. Hey, ho, ho. Oh, I love it! It is poetry in motion! Be someone you have to execute. And when you're a professional pirate, you don't have to wear a suit. What? I like that. I like the song. Oh, actually, I have a question. Then, what is your favorite song? Have we reached it already? Have yeah, I think I mentioned it? it was the uh, Cabin Fever song. It was the. Was, oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. you did say that. It was Cabin Fever followed by this. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna have to start thinking what my favorite song is for this. Once we get to the end of the episode, I'll yeah, think yeah. on it. Once we get to the end. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I'll ask you that. Yeah. So Jim kind of gets strong armed into giving his compass to the treasure hunt because Long John, you know. Long John obviously cares for Jim and you can see it, but he also still is a pirate. He still has, it's very clear. And what I like about the character of Long John Silver as Tim Curry portrays him is that he very much cares for Jim like a son, but in the end he still ultimately cares about his own personal uh, desires. Like he, he's more selfish than he is. He, he cares more about his own self-interest than he does about Jim in general. And he is conflicted by it, which I think is what's interesting that he still, it's not like it's an easy choice for him. He still ultimately chooses the, the to be a shit, to be a shitty person, but it is still interesting. It makes that. I think that's why this movie is stuck with me for so long as uh, it, it's filled with lots of jokes. And I think the jokes are genuinely really good. It's got a solid storyline. I mean, yes, because it's based off a book. So you kind of, it, it's solid because it's based off a tried and true story, but it's the fact it's that relationship once again with Jim and Long John, and here in the song that you're talking about, you're uh, the it, when professional, you're a professional pirate. It's a great song. It's just showing again, even though once again Long John's self interest come out because when after they do the whole number and Jim says no, he's like, I'll be taking it either way, Jim, which is a really subtle way for a kid's movie to indicate I'm going to kill you if you don't give me your compass. Right. We can do the easy way or the hard way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, there's a little more business, but basically we get to the part where our heroes are captured by the, the pig tribe. And uh, I am spa am high <laughs> priest of the boars. <laughs> Howdy, you, stinky, froggy man and friends. I am Spam, high priest of the boars. You, mucho wickedness, go trespass on island. Now you suffer the wrath of our queen. Boom, shakalaka. Mm, terrific. Captured by crazed wild pigs and sacrificed hideously before a pagan altar. Are we lucky or what? Silence, smelly sailor mans. You have violated Sacred Island. Uh, excuse me. I am Captain Smollett. We mean no harm to your culture. We embrace all creatures of differing nationalities. Silence! <laughs> Bring forth. Boom! Chakalaka! That can't be good. Boom! Chakalaka! Boom! Chakalaka! Boom! Chakalaka! Boom! Chakalaka! Boom! Yes, we beat Spat Am. <laughs> And uh, we have this parade. Uh, there's an elephant. One thing I know, even before Piggy shows up as, as Benjamin at gun, um, there's this, this is the one time I was like conscious of like the technical choices they're making. 
But there's a scene where like all of these pigs are like kind of they're moving the, the the group along to wherever they're trying to get them to. And it's nighttime. So they're carrying torches. And I'm like, shit, man, you've got a bunch of like felt puppets with flammable torches. I'm like, wow, think of that. that must be very tricky to work that out. So they're not I mean, because the puppeteers down below, they can't see what they're doing. Like, how are they not setting themselves and everything on yeah. fire? It's, it's it's a nice little scene. Um I never thought of that. You're right. But that's like one of the things, like I said, when you're watching it, like that stuff very rarely occurs to you because you just believe like, yeah, they're just living, breathing characters. The um, but production yeah, so we... value in mm-hmm. general for this movie is insane. Like you just look at the, there's, uh, I, we mentioned before, there's like uh, attention to detail. We mentioned the skull in the earlier on the movie. There's also earlier on the movie back all the way at the, at the end. There's like when Billy Bones is first telling his story, and everyone's like, yeah, it's, it'd be interesting if it's a, if it wasn't the first thousand times we heard it or something like that. There's a mug that comments on it. Like there, there's a, there's another voice or I forget what the line is, but it's a mug that speaks. And they actually made a mug puppet or a mug Muppet, I guess. And there's stuff like, like, like all the small little characters. And then you bring it all the way up to now. And like the, the fact like they have a f- real elephant in this scene that he shot like a real elephant for this. Um, and like you said, all the fire stuff, like the, it, it's a big production in just this one scene. I'm just, I'm, I think what impresses me more is that it's very clear that this was a big budget production, but it didn't feel like the money was wasted. Like you see every cent that they spent on the screen. And I think that's another reason I really enjoy it. Um, and I love how, yeah, go ahead. I was just like, because this scene is just incredible, absolutely incredible to watch. Yeah. And I, what I love about this is it's all practical, right? Cause we're in mm-hmm. the late nineties. They could have used CG for stuff and it looks like the best looking eighties movie. If that makes, I mean, that is a compliment yeah. because of like the, it feels, it has that tactile feel that movies from the eighties have where it's like, you know, you wonder like, Oh, how did they do that? Cause they didn't just run it through a computer. Like they had to actually do this some other way that I find mm-hmm. way more interesting to watch. Um, so yeah, so they're, um, we've got the pirates kind of cutting through vines. They find the treasure, but the boxes are empty. Uh, and the pirates mutiny again, this time against long John silver. And he has to fend them off. And this once again is a scene where long John is showing his kind of like conflicted emotions about Jim because he defends him. He lets Jim run off. Like he doesn't want Jim to die over something he did. So it's, it's, it's weird where he like, He's self, he, he values his self-interest more than others, but at the same time in this scene, he values Jim over his self-interest. Like he could have just run away and let Jim fend for himself type of thing, but he didn't. He warded off the pirates so Jim could run away. And I love the line he says where he goes like, you know, get out of here, Jim. He's like, why are you? And Jim goes, why are you doing this for me? He's like, cause I like you boy. I wasn't lying about that. Now get out of here. And then <laughs> one of my favorite <laughs> The the mutiny scene, they have Long John tied up, and you right before that happened, you hear Long John fire his pistol, and some dudes cry it, mm-hmm. and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And Long John's tied up, he goes, dead, Tom's dead, Long John shot him, and then, but dead Tom's always been dead, that's why he's called dead Tom. Oh, and just drops him. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's a great call. Like, you're like, it's a funny joke when Dead Tom shows up the first time. The fact that they found this way as a callback to get so upset that Dead Tom has been shot. Um, again, like a very macabre joke 
the, like just rides that line for for a Muppet movie. But yeah, that was one of my favorite jokes. And one of my other favorite jokes is next, where we have this scene randomly with like the Swedish chef, and he's <laughs> cooking for them. <laughs> and the best line about it is, I is someone I think it's Rizzo just goes like, "Well, we had to get him in the movie somewhere." It's one of the it's one of the vegetables who says it, yeah, and then he yeah. smacks the vegetable with his hammer or his mallet or whatever. Yeah, there is no reason for the Swedish chef to be in the movie other than like he's awesome and I he's he's, he's catering the the tribe the the local tribe at on right. the island. Uh, real quick, also in that mutiny scene, they give Long John Silver the black spot, right. and I love this this part of the scene as well because he they give it to him on a page from the Bible, and. Long John just rips into like he doesn't you once again props to Tim Curry because you can see in Tim Curry's performance performance excuse me Long John doesn't give two shits that it's on a page from the Bible but he knows if he if he like lays into that they will all the people mutinying will clueless yeah yeah give it to him yeah but um it's not even his birthday no 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 the paper oh. <laughs> uh. This is for you. The black spot. Yeah. You dare to give me the black spot? He he told me to. And it's drawn on a page from the Bible. You tore a page from the Holy Scriptures to make a pirate's death sentence. Here. Oh, the red hot. Gates of hell are creeping open. Satan is hating his bunkers for you, you blasphemous heathens. Fall down on your knees and beg for deliverance from damnation. Very good. You're forgiven. Now untie me! And let's go find the treasure! And so he does a whole thing. He's like, you tore a page from the Holy Scripture to give a pirate his death sentence. Uh, And then, you know, oh, the red... He just, he starts chewing the scenery again. And in the... I remember listening to one of your other episodes. I think it was your D2 episode. And you mm. asked your guest, like, what's one of your most quoted moments? Like, what's one of the quotes from the movie? When they give Long John the death, the black spot that leads up to this, it's Clueless Morgan once again. And I don't know why this sticks with me. Because it, it's, it's not like it's a joke. It's not like I'm saying, oh, the red hot gates of hell or something. It's Clueless Morgan walking up to Long John, giving him the black spot, going, this is for you. And that has stuck. With, I I do that at my job. I will deliver if I'm if I'm friendly enough with the people. They don't need to know Muppet Treasure Island. I will if I if I'm the one delivering mail that day or something to the department. I'll go. This is for you, and then just walk away without saying anything else. No one knows I'm quoting this movie. Oh, it's yeah, only it's, for me. <laughs> I would say it's subtle and distinctive enough that like you know what it is, and they just sound like, oh yeah, he's handing me something. Um, but that's, that, I love that stuff. Like, there's definitely like everybody's got these like weird movie lines. Like, yeah, yeah, everyone can say like, you know, I could have been a contender or some like famous line. But like, there's so many other like. In fact, that's in the movie. I just remember that Marlon Brando mm-hmm. line is in the song, in, in the which, pirate song. It's very weird. Yeah, it sticks out like a sore thumb. That someone's like, ah, I'm just gonna do this Brando voice. But like, there's so many other things that people quote, like myself included. I can't think of one off the top of my head. But like, yeah, just like 
a very like random one-off line that one character says to another, like why it sticks with you. I don't know. Just movie magic, I guess. Um, <laughs> I will. Yeah. And speaking of D2, a friend of mine did something similar where uh, there's a scene in D2 where all the, the team is all tied up because they're doing the team building activity with the lasso and someone farts and everyone goes Goldberg and Goldberg's like, it wasn't me. And the one kid who's uh, um, the enforcer, one of the bash brothers goes, no, it was me. And my friend quotes that all the time. He said it in that inflection. Mm-hmm. And I was like, did you just quote Mighty Ducks? And he was so surprised I caught it. Um, I'm not <laughs> saying I, I, it's only ha- I could only do that for movies I've watched religiously. Side note, something I thought you might find interesting based off mm-hmm. that D2 episode. The guy who plays one of the enforcers, Dean Portman, he was in Newsies originally. He was one of the Newsies in Newsies. And now that guy is married to Adina Menzel. Wow. She married a Bash <laughs> brother? Yeah, she married. Uh, he married up. He got. He got the. He got a Disney princess. Not Foggy. Like, not Foggy Nelson. The other one. Right. Right. Still good for him, man. She's actually two Disney princesses. She's uh, she's <laughs> Elsa, and she's uh, in that Enchanted series as well. So mm-hmm. good for him. Uh, so we get to see where we get Piggy and Kermit finally back together. Uh, he had cold feet about marrying her. This this has come <laughs> up in other Muppet movies. You're a frog. You're supposed to have cold feet. Yeah, this is a thing I think in Muppets Take Manhattan as well, as I mm-hmm. recall. It's, it's something they come back to, like, why aren't they actually married? Or, like, I think in the, in the Jason Siegel one, it's implied they were they were married and got divorced. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing. They have to get Muppet. They always have to get oh, yeah. Kermit and Piggy together. We found out she dated Flint, which is very funny. Uh, she, she slept <laughs> around with John. the pirates. Yeah, and Long John. <laughs> um, he was a pirate. I was a lady. You know the story. Yeah, and we find out where the treasure went, which is that Piggy, uh, in traditional Miss Piggy fashion, used it to decorate her her digs. Mm-hmm. And the pirates do discover they they get to the treasure by you know they they find out where it is based off torturing Kermit in front of Miss Piggy. She ends up telling them, and this leads to the love song for this movie because it's called "Love Led Us Here," and "Love Led Us Here." Excuse me. Was I done? Or was I blind? Or did my heart just lose its mind? Might I go and throw our perfect dream away? But I'm surprised by this song because I actually kind of like it. I'm not normally a sucker for like the the love ballads in movies, but I find myself wanting to sing this song more often than I care to admit. And I think also specifically it it starts off, you know, they're they're singing and then it turns into a montage where like the final chorus is happening and all the pirates are dancing in the cold and it's it's 
it's weird where it's like the in that scene it made me feel happy for the pirates i'm like you found it good job buddies but at the same time they're the bad guys it was a, such a weird moment i don't know if that was a good thing or i i mean i enjoyed it but it's like one of those things where i'm like is that good not that i enjoyed it but yeah. like is that good movie making that like they kind of changed the tone of the pirates temporarily i don't know i didn't hate it it's very funny yeah, that no that they're they're having their love scene. It's just their love scene is with gold. Uh, while Ker- yeah. Kermit and Piggy are hanging upside down from a cliff, at which point Sam comes rowing in. Finally, he made it to land, which is great. Like, you knew he was going to come back somewhere. It's, it's really funny that the way he does. And, um, and then we kind of have our climactic battle on the beach. Well, where, sort of, you know, um, Sam comes rowing in and that's when he is able to get Rizzo and Gonzo and Kermit's up with Miss Piggy, Rizzo, Gonzo and Jim who have escaped from everything back to the boat. And then they use Sam. They, they, cause we, we knew the audience knew Sam arrow was still, arrow was still alive. So they use the pirate superstitions against them and they put a little makeup on him, make him mm-hmm. appear ghostly and all the pirates freak out and jump off. That's when they get control of the Hispaniola back. They use it to save Kermit because they're being hung up by a line that's slowly being burned. And right as they the line burns all the way through and Kermit and Piggy fall, they get they are able to catch them on the bow of the ship. And who, of course, catches them? The iconic duo themselves, Statler and Waldorf. <laughs> uh, I like how they, once again, some fourth wall breaking jokes where it's like, you, you, Statler, you're old, or Waldorf, you old fool. We save the pig and the frog. It's like, well, it's too late to save the movie. Oh, or you yeah. know, stuff like that. And then right. it's the final fight, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun fight overall. Yeah, it's very frenetic. It's you know, uh, you, you've got Muppets and people sword fighting all over. You've got you know, they like said uh, before Gonzo is uh, throwing starfish at stuff. Um, as he as he whips them at a, at a lobster. <laughs> Uh, we get Sweetums in there, who's you know, a low key awesome Muppet. He's that like giant ogre one. I love you guys. I love you guys. Yeah, he's he's cool. <laughs> um, and then finally, uh, Long John Silver surrenders. The mutineers are imprisoned, um, and Long John still has the keys, so he takes off with the treasure, but he gives Jim, Jim back the compass. Uh, and they're, uh, he's in a sinking dinghy as, as in my notes. I think he's, he's, uh, in and trouble. So the, when, right before he leaves, he does give Jim back the compass, but that's kind of like the, I don't know if it's the p- penultimate is the right word. I, I don't think that is, I don't think I'm using it in the right context, but that is like the final scene where you see this father son relationship with Jim and long John. And it's a really kind of an emotional movement. Like I really like the music that, that Zimmer wrote for, for their, for like the long John and Jim scenes because long John escapes. He's got a bucket, like four or five chests of treasure on this, on this escape on this, uh, save on this boat. And Jim is about to blow the whistle on him. And long John's pointing the pistol right at him. And he goes, don't make me do this, Jim. I, I don't want to do this. And then Jim's not backing down. And it's, it's a really cool character moment for Jim Hawkins. I suppose you'll be blowing the whistle on me now, won't you, Jim? I suppose I will. You have to return to Bristol to stand trial. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Jim. 
I've got a terrible fear of hanging. We're shipmates, aren't we, Jim? Gentlemen of fortune together. Give us one more chance. I can never harm you. You're honest and brave and true. You didn't learn that from me. I learned it from my friends, Mr. Silver. Now take your oars and row away. I never want to see you again, ever. should not have this much depth to characters no no other characters have it only jim and long john i feel like have this amount given to them but he jim's not backing down which is once again like him be, being like i'd rather die doing the right thing than live knowing i let you go away um and when long john finally puts his uh, his gun down as a kid i remember oh my parents are letting me say a word see a movie with a swear word in it my parents are I grew up pretty religious, so anything with swear words was like, absolutely not. To the fact that he said hell, he goes, oh, hell, Jim, I could never harm you. And I remember being a kid, be like, oh, they're letting us watch a movie with a swear word in it. It was like (laughs) something taboo. Maybe that's also, maybe that played into a lot of my love for it. But uh, the the line's a little bit cheesy because, oh, hell, Jim, I could never hurt you. You're honest and brave and true. It's a a kid's movie. I can give it a pass. But then I like the follow-up line. He's like, you didn't learn that from me. And he's like, I learned it from my friends, Mr. Silver. And I, I go, I don't ever want to see you again. And so it feels like Jim was finally, like, he was able to tell Long John off in the way he wanted. And so Long John sails off, and he does get his comeuppance, like you said. He takes on too much uh, too much water. And Kermit, I think Kermit and Arrow walk up to Jim at right as Long John sails off and Kermit's like, your father would have been proud of you. And it's just such a brilliant moment. I don't know. It way more emotional than this movie really warrants, but I still think it works for how it's written and the performances and all that good stuff. Uh, just a really cool ending to that, to that character arc between Long John and Jim. Yeah. And then we get, uh, you know, basically the end there, they're talking about, you know, taking further adventures on the high seas to Zanzibar and stuff. And uh, we get the, the Zanzibar closing variants. The Zanzibar Barbarians, and we get credits, <laughs> and then there's one like mid credit scene of Long John stuck on the beach, um, which is you know one last nice thing for Jim for uh, for Tim Curry to do. And hey, yeah. Long John, why does the ocean roar? <laughs> you would too if you had uh, lobsters on your bottom and oysters in your bed. It's got it's nothing but dad jokes, and it kind of makes me chuckle. Uh, I am a sucker for a good dad joke. I am a dad, and that means I got to make these jokes, and uh, I I take that responsibility seriously. So, <laughs> so uh, we're we're at the end, and um, it's I, I'm so glad we got to talk about this movie. I'm glad I finally got a chance to see it because this is like I said, I've seen most of them. This has been on the list for a while. I'm like oh, I want to check this out at some point. I bet it's interesting. Um, so, Josh, tell me, like, why is it you think that this movie has 
has remained, you know, people still love this one. Like, I mean, I know people love the Muppets generally, but um, what do you think it is about this movie that makes it special? Um, I think part of it is the, I mean, there's just a lot of things. It's one of those things, like, I, I feel like I'm pretty okay at being able to separate my nostalgia from the quality of a movie. For example, and I'll keep this very brief because I want to stay on topic, but the Three Ninjas movies, love them to pieces. They are awful films. Like, absolutely awful. Like, it's it's so bad it's fun for me to watch. Muppet Treasure Island, though, the jokes are actually jokes. Like Three Ninjas jokes aren't jokes. They're 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 they try to be, but they're not. This is actually like jokes uh, between the the pirate, you know, the pirate names, between the fourth wall breaking, between all the callbacks that they use. They, they use callbacks throughout the entire movie through various jokes, which is I, I really enjoy. Um, I think the humor honestly still holds up really well. Maybe I, at least in my opinion, I think the. It, it keeps a fun atmosphere throughout the whole movie. And honestly, I feel like people just look for things that are fun now because everything's so heavy, both in the real world and in a lot of the media we watch. Um, and uh, it's the Muppets, man. Like, they're they're always fun. And the, I guess the last thing is just that the, the surprising amount of depth you get from the Long John and Jim stuff. I know I, I, I was talking about it a lot. I think the reason it, I, it sticks out to me so much is the rest of the movie is so silly. And normally something that sticks out like this, I don't think should work, but it does in my opinion. I think that's why it holds up so well for the people who who like it because – and uh, maybe even people who didn't grow up with it. Um, it's because the jokes still hold up. The story is a good structure. It's not nothing groundbreaking because if you know the Treasure Island story, you know it. But it the story is a good structure. The set – the production – design and everything is so high quality the little throwaway jokes just the fourth wall breaking just everything about it, i think it really still holds up for all of that and more and i maybe i'm being a little hyperbolic with how i'm speaking about it but i really still enjoy this movie well i mean your love for it clearly comes through i mean there's no it's obvious why you picked it for this podcast i uh you know i just love the muppets uh, i always have and i love what they represent and you can you, Muppets doing Treasure Island is an obvious choice. Kind of the Muppets doing anything, you know, I can watch. There, there is a Muppety version of anything uh, mm -hmm. out there. Whether I mean, I like the Muppets doing more original things too, but these adaptations are great. And they, they just know, like I said, they know the Muppet formula so well. And they, it's just, it's so good natured and silly, and yet you just, you want to hug these characters like they're just. They created some Jim Henson just was a magician and kind of a once in a lifetime talent. And so you see what he created with this. And like, I hope the Muppets continue to be around forever because, you know, I, I like so many other cartoon franchises when I would lump this in with cartoons, even though they're physical puppets, um, that the world kind of needs a lot of Jim Henson, especially the darker it gets, the more you need that. Like I will get, emotional listening to rainbow connection because i mm -hmm. think that's just a powerful song delivered it's a great song you know it's it's an incredible song and it and what it represents is just so universal and uh, and special that like you know any muppet thing will be even the worst muppet thing is a, a just delight like it's just a breezy joyful thing to experience so uh, i'm really glad you brought this to me because i i did have a lot of fun with it and uh you know i've I, I hope to do more Muppet stuff on this podcast, hopefully in the future, because they of uh, you know just 
it's all it's fun for all ages. What else can I say? It's it's the Muppets. Mm-hmm. So, um, Josh, uh, if people want to find your stuff, where do they find it? Uh, well, you can find it a couple places. And real quick, I said I would say I would say my favorite song for the movie. Oh I'm yes, I forgot. Yes, it's what the, is your favorite song for the movie? It is the opening track that I. It's my favorite song. I still I enjoy. It's so piratey. It's so fun. It's opening track, but I won't I won't dwell on it. We've talked about the movie a ton. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for sea shanties. I was gonna say I'm a sucker for sea right? shanties, which is I'm a weirdo that way, but whatever. Uh, yes, go on. So it's, uh, yes, where can people uh, find your awesome stuff? Uh, so you can find Still Loading on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. You can also find me on social media uh, at Still Loading Pod on pretty much every social media app that I'm on. If it's not, if I'm not on it. Then uh, if it if there's no at still loading pod, then I'm not on it. So, you know, Facebook, tw- uh, no, Twitter, F the, F the guy who runs it now. It's Twitter. I don't care what it's called now. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Hive, Blue Sky, Twitch, all that good stuff. And at still loading pod on YouTube. So you can find me all those places. And feel if you like video games and you want to learn about video game history and all the stuff I mentioned before, check it out on all those places. So, yeah. Awesome. And I would encourage everybody to do that because you put out good stuff. And uh, uh, if you want to find our stuff, uh, we are also on the socials. Um, You can find us uh, on, I'm not going to call it Twitter either. Let's just call it 10 because that makes more sense than X. Uh, So we're there at Nostalgia Pod. We are on threads now. Uh, Look for Nostalgia Arcanum or on uh, Instagram. Please do follow us at the Instagram spot because that's where I've been posting all of our bonus stuff every week. So uh, look for us there. And uh, if you have thoughts on this episode or our recent ones, which include, let me think, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Doom!, and uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit were the last few. Coming up next is Batman 89, which I'm super stoked to talk about. I've been hoping to do an episode on that for a long, long time. After that, I'm not sure. I'm getting a little ahead of the recording schedule, so I think we're going to do one on Clueless. So that'll be fun, too. Uh, you know, so uh, look forward to that. And um, Josh, thanks again for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. All right. Until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia Arcana. Bravo! I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, though. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away! Hey, boo! Boo! What are we doing? I like to keep it a surprise. Oh, uh, you know yes! Rich knows this about me. It's about the prestige. The prestige. I dare you to do that with me. Oh, we got one coming. And we did, I did not sign up for it. Why are there so many yes! about rainbows? Yes! And what's on the other side? Yeah! Rainbows are visions. We got one in Think about it, you can guess what it is. Illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide.
Dreamer. 